What? Oh, oh. Shout. One second, please. Hello, welcome to Designated Driver Podcast. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Liz. Hi, Liz. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's cold in here. <laughs> yes, it is. It's like 47 degrees, I would say. Yeah, it's dumb. Oh. I hate this time of year. No more coats for me, but then I get cold. So I have a little story to share about the podcast. I told two friends about it, and they both can't stand Adam Driver. I know, and it wasn't only. I don't, how? Why don't they like him? Is um, it his face? How his maybe, face is? Maybe I think one was like he's not cute, and they also but they also thought he was a bad actor. No. And I'm like, is it but because what? I've heard in marriage stories some people feel like I get I haven't seen it because I don't want to see it, but during the crisis moment he's like very dramatic. Kind of like ugly crying. I guess my boss, my boss's daughter, who's like a teenager, does an imitation of his monologue and his argument monologue. Okay, that's funny. Yeah, that made me a little uncomfortable, I guess. But um, they, yeah, I think they didn't like Kylo Ren and just didn't think he was a good actor. I'm like, but wait, but he's the best actor. And so I didn't, I, it was totally a polarizing moment i couldn't believe it i i don't know what to say see i feel and we'll talk about kylo ren another episode but i feel that part of the issue with kylo ren is say whatever you want to say about star wars the dialogue's not always amazing like i think he's doing a lot with what they're giving him and maybe to some people it looks like overacting but i think he's doing the best he can with the material he has yeah yeah agree yeah i mean i love his intensity as kylo ren I don't know, like, if you're already completely won over, then you're just going to love it. But it seems jarring. Or I think he's 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 noticeable in a movie. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. kind of blend in. I mean, a lot of people call that charisma. That's what I like. I couldn't believe it. Sometimes I'm shocked when there's something I feel really strongly about. And then, like, friends of yours, you kind of feel like you have maybe the same taste, but totally opposite opinion. It's, I can't I, believe it. I feel like when I love something too much, it hurts my feelings if people don't oh, love yeah. it too. I have this feeling of disbelief that I just don't understand how they don't yeah. love it. Sometimes I'll see a movie and I'll just think it's so great. I'm like, why wasn't everyone telling me to see this movie? Like, this is the perfect thing. And the opposite thing happens too where it's something everyone likes and I don't like it at all. I can't figure out if it's me, my aesthetic but other people don't yeah have the same they just don't because if on some level it sometimes feels like they don't share your values like I (laughs) when I was in college we went on a, a road trip like during spring break or something and we went to Graceland and I was truly under the impression that we were going to go into Graceland and take a tour but my friends were like, no, we're just stopping in the parking lot and taking a picture with Graceland behind us. I started crying. Like, I had a temper tantrum, and I 
eventually talked one of my friends into coming with me, but only because I paid her ticket. But I was like, you guys, we can't go in, we can't be here and not go in. And I truly felt like they didn't understand who I was as a person. Anyway, my friend thanks me now for forcing her to go, so. They were dead wrong. I know. I'm going to say, um, I visited Graceland. And I've been there twice now. I want to go again so bad. I really loved the gallery of photos of young Elvis, his GI. <laughs> Maybe that's a uniform thing. And then just the tag. Like, it. it's not very big inside. It doesn't seem very big. It's real tacky 70s. Yeah. I think that that's a great living room. Yes, I remember that. That's Maybe it was because, and I sort of went through this phase myself as like a teenager, where you think it's lame to go to a tourist attraction. Did you ever have that probably feeling? But then at a certain point, I went. I did a one eighty, and I love tourist attractions. And now, especially, I mean, Graceland. That's a great one. Highly recommended. Yeah, you don't go there and not go in. Or maybe it was like that they didn't want to pay to go in. Yeah, I mean, we were caught. But again, that was where like my values piece came in because I was like, this is how much money I have. And I am putting my money where my mouth is. Like, I care about this. I want to spend the money to do this. And the rest of the time, like, we're camping. So I understand that we're poor college students. But come on, people, we're here. <laughs> and anyway, I was right and they were wrong. And my feelings were really hurt. But they're all still my dear friends and I love them so much. So, okay, good. But that's just, like, my, you know, like, when I really care, I, to your point about Adam Driver, like, I take it very seriously, even though I'm 44 years old and I should probably know better. Yeah, sometimes I feel out of step, maybe, with the things I'm passionate about. I feel like are totally obvious things everyone would like, but perhaps that's not the case. Yeah. Should we do a quick uh, rat, rat report? report? Yeah, we got the rats. Their names are Jem and Stormy, and we're loving it. They're really sweet pets. It's funny still to shock people with photos. They'll have a very visceral reaction. They crawl on you, and I haven't had them crawl on me very much because I'm worried about being allergic, but they have gone on me now. <laughs> I'm the most reluctant. I still they're, like them. It's funny because they're in your office, so if you're uh, worried about allergies, like you, the layout is a problem. I know. I made a big uh, sacrifice to, like, I cleared out a part of my office, and I'm going to be working in there every day. Your kids are going to be all up in your business because they want to play with the rats. Yeah, but um, I'm doing pretty good allergy-wise. I like them, and, and you can put them away in the cage and then not worry about them at all. And they don't make a peep, and they seem perfectly happy in there. Like, their cage is so big compared to the, their size. I don't feel guilty about putting them in the cage. Yeah, it's like they're in a home. Yeah, they have a nice home, and they get a lot of playtime every day. I think they're happy. I think they're good pets. Yeah, I don't know if there'll be, like, a lot of rat news. Five combs. <laughs> Let's see. You still have to clean up after them and clean out their cage. So that is some work. But I would give them four combs. All right. <laughs> what is that? A shag on the lushness meter? I think it's a mane. Yeah. Because I think it's yep. Kylo Ren. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, they get a mane. That's Kylo, good. Yeah, Kylo Ren, uh, mane, shag, blank, and buzz cut. Well, that's really exciting. Okay, so do you want to talk about uh, upcoming news before we talk about... Yeah. Okay, okay. I want an alliterative title for this segment, but right now I'm going to just call it Adam Updates. Okay. 
So there's some exciting Adam updates. So some more pictures of House of Gucci have dropped, including Gaga in a beautiful wedding dress. And he plays her husband in House of Gucci. So I'm super excited about that. And I give his hair five combs already in that. I think yeah. it looks oh, so yes. great. Question. Who's the Gucci in the story? Her or him? Her, right? No, him. him. He's the Gucci. He's He plays like a lesser known Gucci who <laughs> ran the house of Gucci for a while, but was actually like kind of terrible at it. And then she's his like scary, manipulative wife who may or may not have murdered him. Mm-hmm. I think probably did. I think that's the story. Did she go to prison or anything? No. Or she was totally got away with it. She's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, and okay. he's dead but then the other update that <laughs> this is like hipster bait forever so it's annette maybe you've seen the ads also excellent hair in it um but it's a musical so he sings in it it's directed by leo carax it's his first english language film but it's based on a story by um ron is it male m-a-l-e-l two um the bandmates of Sparks, Ron and Russell Mail of Sparks. And Marianne Cotillard is in it. And I looked on Reddit and read a lot of fan theories. I've never seen a Leo Carax movie, have you? No. Apparently they're fantastical and kind of surreal. And in this one, he plays a stand-up comedian, and he sings. And Marianne Cotillard is his wife, and they have a daughter with mysterious powers, unclear. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was a really scary preview. Mm-hmm. Backing up just a sec... So the songs were written by uh, two guys from Sparks? And the music. The whole story is their story. Leo Carex directs it. This sounds great. Like, I'm not familiar with Sparks' work, except for... My husband loves Sparks. Okay, I, I know I think I would, because... Have you heard of the album Splash Dance? No. <laughs> it's a Disney... Uh, there was that disco one. Disney would come out with albums, and they're kind of like... They're not really covers. Like kids bop, sort of? Yeah, but they're original songs. Oh. And one, there's one from the 80s. It's called Splash Dance. Maybe you should try listening to this at home if Joel loves Sparks. I mean, he's got to know about it. I love the songs on this album. Like, I picked it up at a record store when I was buying um, records when, you know, the girls were little. Anyway, Splash Dance. It's great, and it's Sparks. Oh, okay. We'll listen to it. That's cool. I mean, there's still... Busy in films. And so the Reddit theories, some of them think, so you see one of the members of Sparks conducting. And so some of the Reddit theories think he actually plays a role. Like you actually, you know, there's like a fourth wall breaking sort of situation where you actually see him conducting the story. Um, or that he might play a murderous role in it. I mean, Adam Driver is a murderer, but he definitely sings. He definitely dances. We see that in the trailer. And Marianne Cotillard looks beautiful and mysterious. And you never see the baby. Like, you sort of see oh. their baby Annette for a second, but, like, maybe she's a puppet. Like, there's this one part where he or she is dancing with this thing that may be a child or maybe a puppet. So I I don't know. I just have a feeling that if it's even half as good as the trailer, like everybody who reads the New Yorker magazine is going to be going to see it, including me. The trailer was captivating. With trailers, I sort of want to like half watch them because I don't want spoilers. It looked to me in my kind of like watching through my hands that, okay, there was a baby. And when there's a baby, like everything is, the drama is really heightened. 
Uh, sometimes it's like really cheap, like a cheap way to do it. But I mean, this seemed really scary. It looks like sort of a scary horror. Like they don't say what Annette's power is. Yeah, I didn't get that from the trailer. But there's like scenes of Adam Driver running, holding a baby, which I thought was really cool. And it was something that I want to see. But then I also like got the impression that he killed the baby. I did too. Okay. Then I was like, but I don't want to know. That's like too much to know about. It, it looked beautiful, arty, scary. And he's a stand-up comedian also, which I'm yeah, very weird. intrigued by. Because he seemed... Very intense. Intense. And not like someone with a sense of humor. Yeah, not like a fun stand-up comedian, but one that's like yelling that at you. makes you uncomfortable. Maybe. Yeah. It's going to be big, and I foresee like when these movies come out that we'll go see them in a theater. I think so. Because we're just going to be in the aftertimes, and it's going to be super fun going to theaters... And then reporting right away, you know, doing an episode like right away, getting it out. So Annette is premiering at Cannes this year. So I think it's premiering like June. So, I mean, like we might, who knows? I would go to a movie with masks. Me too. Right now. Because of being vaccinated. Yeah, after I get my second vaccine, I'll be all over that. Although, like, part of me doesn't really want to go to movie theaters anymore because I've just been sitting on my butt watching movies so much this year. Yeah. But Well, you know, I would like to go to a matinee. Yeah, I like <laughs> going to matinees. I'm more alert at that time, and then I don't have to leave my house as darkness falls. Also, it feels like a terrific luxury, going to a matinee in the middle of the day. I like doing it that. It does, yeah. So today we're going to talk about While We're Young. A movie from, I've seen both 2014 and 2015 at different sources. I don't know what the deal is there. But it was in the before times of Obama was president. It's a different vibe. I mean, they're just like, uh, it's a movie about tension between generations, oblivious of the like real culture war that's to come. Yeah, in like a year, you know, just it's like the before before times. Yeah, before COVID and And before before Trump, Trump. where I I mean, it's this movie about like privileged New Yorkers and what they think about and you know what they're dealing with. Where in that way, it feels dated to me. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know if that kind of about that. Yeah, just the easy bubble we were in I don't know after like the time before we went through years of hard stuff also it's summer like New York looks great everyone has nice clothes because they're rich it's all the things that you love about a New York movie where they live in these improbably large apartments that are Mm -hmm. close to everything and they're eating in wonderful cafes and there's spontaneous things happening on the street all the time like yeah they don't really seem to work no. I mean, the economics of New York shows aren't always like that. But they did seem very uh, wealthy to me. Yeah. Um, the main couple, I mean, I guess the guy teaches a class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he didn't seem to be very good at it. Like, he didn't seem to be a real professor or anything. And then they have maybe family money from the dad yeah. who's famous, the wife's dad. So we should probably just give a, a quick who the actors and characters are. We have Ben Stiller. I guess he's the main character. Mm-hmm. His name is, do you remember his name? I'm pulling up the page. So he plays Josh. Oh yeah, Josh and slash Yash. Yeah, slash um, Joshy. Uh, yeah, his wife is uh, Naomi. 
Watts, and her character's Cornelia. So they're middle-aged. They're in their 40s. He's younger than me. He's 42 in it. I'm 44. Yeah, I mean, they, Ben Stiller was not 42 when he yeah. played. He was probably 50. They were playing ages that were maybe five years younger than their real ages. Yeah, so they're just aging. He's a documentary filmmaker. Like aging intellectuals, kind of. Yeah, she's a movie a documentary producer, and her dad is famous for making documentaries. I, I feel like this does not explain their like money that they have still. I mean, they must have had family money, because even yeah. documentary makers... He's a very yeah. lauded documentary maker. It's Charles Grodin, who I was like, who is that guy? And I thought it was funny that his character was Leslie Breitbart, because again, it was the before-before times. Yeah, his we'd never heard of the word Breitbart. Breitbart and so they keep name dropping it like he's a famous person and he's like a famous person in the landscape of that movie but watching it now in 2021 I was like ugh Breitbart, Breitbart you would never yeah. choose that as his last name yeah it's just a coincidence but yeah it's funny so they meet a younger couple, which is where Adam Driver comes in. Adam Driver is Jamie, Excuse and me. his wife is Amanda. Okay, here we free Seyfried? How do you say that? You know, I feel like if I watched award shows, I'd be all over how to pronounce names. From how it's phonetically spelled out, I feel like it's Cy Fred. I think you're right. So like sci-fi, but like Fred at the end. She was also in Big Love, Big Love diaspora and actor there. I like her a lot. Mm-hmm. I like her too. She's cute in it. Her character's name is Darby. I didn't see Mank. Did you watch that? No, I don't want to. It sounded kind of long. I'm not interested. <laughs> Just because it seemed boring or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It seemed long and... It got That's what like... I have to say about... I mean, I feel like other people found it boring. People who wanted yeah. to watch it, and I don't even want to watch it. Yeah, I watched a clip of just uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler's intro um, to the Golden Globes or something, and they were making fun of that it was boring and long. Maybe it's cool. I know it like, won awards, but if people told me it was good and to watch it, like Friends, I would maybe watch it. But yeah, it's not high on the list. I do like her, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me too. So the middle-aged couple... The Generation X. Would you consider... I identified with them. Yes, uh, we're both. <laughs> I feel like I'm aggressively Generation X. Yeah, it's weird to like see yourself in that. And then the dad was like the baby boomer. Mm-hmm. And then um, the millennials. So the middle-aged couple meets Darby and Jamie. Yeah, and it's kind of a funny meeting. They meet after Josh has been, he's a documentarian and and enjoyed some success early in his career. And he's teaching this class about documentaries and he can't get the PowerPoint to work. But they come over and compliment his class afterwards, the Jamie and Darby, the millennials. Yeah, and they strike up a friendship, which we kind of figure out later that Jamie probably knows about the famous dad and is kind of schmoozing and wanting to meet them eventually so it was kind of staged the meeting it was kind of fake but they were nice to them I mean Mm -hmm. and they're they're very flattered they ask a lot of questions and are just really lively and fun and have fun creative ideas and just I think initially the older couple are kind of a little wary of them but also like excited by them because they have all these ideas I mean you and I were just talking about how we used to go to shows and go see fashion things and gallery openings and like I miss doing that and you can tell like that's kind of where they are too. Yeah and they're kind of lost because their friends are 
having kids mm-hmm. and having babies, and they try to have kids, and it didn't work. Well, they kind um, of, they kind of, they seem like they aren't even decided between themselves about whether they want kids or if you know, like initially they. They seem like they don't even want kids, and then as the movie plays out, you realize that they did try to have kids, and that didn't work out. And yeah, there's a lot. I guess as a lot of couples have, I mean, you tell yourself things. Yeah, a combination between rationalizing it, sometimes saying, "I don't want kids," "Our life is great." It, did you um, pick up on this in the first? I think it was the first scene with them. They were talking about. So they met their friend's baby. Then they come home, and they're like, "We could go to Europe anytime." Yeah. Did that remind you of when Harry met Sally? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, much. that's from Sex some... on this mix, hard, cold Mexican tile. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, she's like, we could go off to Rome anytime, but we, but we don't, don't go off to Rome. Yeah. Any... That was um, and it's funny too because... Sally's excuse for breaking up with her ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Naomi Watts is part of like a group of blonde actresses who all look the same to me. I think Meg Ryan pre-plastic surgery, Meg Ryan, yeah. like, they look similar to me, too. So, it, yeah, anyway, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I was like, I think that's from Harry I was, that when Harry met Sally, and I um, I looked it up, and it is. So they're, yeah, they're just, if getting pregnant didn't happen easily, they tried and tried IVF and then just gave up. Lots and then, of miscarriages, it sounded like. Yeah, decided they just maybe were going to try not having kids. I mean, it does get harder and harder. Like, maybe those were their best friends that just had a baby, like when everyone else, Ugh, it's the worst. Because um, I had babies later, when I was thirty nine, and I had twins, and like a lot of my friends already had them. But then I had a lot of friends who didn't have them, and we were kind of probably that was you know part of the reason we were hanging out a lot still is we could still have the lifestyle you have before you have kids because it does just your life changes so much there's when this you kind have of, them. There's this like heartbreaking part where Naomi Watts' character is walking one way and then she runs into the friend with three other mom friends who all have their babies in carriers and they talk her into going to this mommy and me music class that like kills me because I've never gone to one of those but I also I had my son when I was 37 or 38 and I am sure that I went to some, like, I I went to a million, like, baby naming ceremonies. I never wanted to be that person, but I'm sure I forced some of my my childless friends to do that, too. But it just, it doesn't make it any less painful. Like, she's just sitting in this mommy and kids class. I felt all of her feelings watching it. It made me feel awful. It, yeah. Like, it made me hate myself a little bit, too. You know, I just, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it, it seemed like she practically had a panic attack. It is just like throwing it in your face if you especially if you've had struggles with infertility well, also like like you can ignore it <clears throat> if you're just on your own but then like when you're like in the mommy then it would be like this is really what I would have done right you know and even in the first scene when they're meeting the couple's baby and they're like you should have kids like you would be great parents you know and they, like, their faces just show every emotion. But it's so smug and, like, just every, ugh. But also, like, I'm sure I've done that. Like, as soon as I had a kid, I wanted my sister to have a kid. And it's hard not to have that feeling and want to share that. But also, like, it just comes off as not me a jerk about unbelievably it, yeah. jerky. But you're in baby world then, <laughs> and you have a schedule. I mean, you can't do the stuff. And I thought it was funny how they were um, the new couple. So it was like ad rock from the Beastie Boys and was the dad and he was going to be the stay-at-home dad. He could just quit his job. Again, the New York, like, he's like, I'm making enough. And they had like a cavernous apartment when they showed that. 
I'm like, this is like five times as big as my house. But anyway, it's a movie. Like at first when you have the babies and you bring them home, for the woman, I mean, you've been pregnant. I was pregnant with twins. That was pretty hard. But still, it is easier, I thought, than when they come home. Okay, so then you're like up all night. And I was like up all night all the time. But you have this, you know, you, you weren't up all night for years before that. So you're still, you know, in this like happy baby zone. But as time goes on, I don't know how Chet was with sleeping, that sleep deprivation on a long-term basis. Like you do get, like you could see the dad at the end who was like, yeah, so yeah, then we'll be up for the two o'clock feeding and the five o'clock feeding and all the other times he wakes up. And that was one baby. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I mean, after... That, I mean, goes on for a couple years. Yeah. And, like, it's so tiring. I mean, I did have to cut out my social life pretty much 100% because I couldn't do it. And then when you're working, too, when those kids are little, you just don't I made have some space. mistakes when I went back to work with that. It's just so brutal. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that really resonated. Like, even he's, like, the dad is saying at some point, like, when you're pregnant, everyone's like, this is great. You're going to love it. Welcome to parenthood. It's so, you know. And then as soon as you come home with the baby, they're like, don't worry. It gets easier. (laughs) And it's so true. That first year is brutal. But also, it's, like, the best thing ever. So, I, yeah. Yeah. It does seem like this, from the outside, it does seem like this cult of baby where, like, if you have a baby... And if you don't have one, everyone's, jerk. everyone's trying to make you have one. Yeah, once you do, then you're then you're on the inside, and then everyone's talking about like and you how are, hard it is yeah. and how relentless it is. Yeah, but also how great it is, and then you have your kids and your babies that you love, and but it makes you very selfish and very myopic, and like I totally saw not you like an individual oh, yeah. person, but I totally saw that in in that movie, and I really felt for both sides like every stage of life is hard like it just has its challenges and I thought they conveyed that really well and so yeah they meet the young couple and they're sort of you know they're still unfettered uh, by kids so they are free to do things but then they don't uh, do things anymore just from being older and then they they sort of get drawn into their world and they go walk on the like subway tracks and are kind of experiencing their youth maybe they have like this like super cool, fun, like beach party on the street and they're like grilling a street beach. And it does look really fun. I have to say, I, I could totally see getting drawn into their orbit. And like the wife makes like organic oat milk ice cream and they have a chicken in their like warehouse apartment. Ridiculous. They're the kind of people I would love to have. You ever seen, there used to be a blog or a Tumblr called hipster slipping on the ice and somebody just set up a camera out of an office window in Williamsburg that just happened across the street to have this corner that just got icy and he would just film hipsters slipping on the ice all day and my husband like I have never heard him chortle so hard like anytime I would hear him chortling in the corner it was because he was looking at that tumbler. This is what I picture hipsters to be and I think like my slightly dated version of hipsters like Adam Driver wore a hat a lot. They ride bicycles. Yeah, they were like classic Brooklyn hipster. Where stuff that's coming out now, hipsters have a slightly different look. And also, he had a huge collection of vinyl, 
Would you say today's hipsters, are they as into vinyl? Or is that over with? This was super on the nose about this is a hipster. Or maybe I can just see it more because it's a little in the past. So they were total New York hipsters. And Ben Stiller's character is like, there's just no, they don't have a high and low. Like everything is cool to them, you know. And And Adam Driver's character is trying to psych him up for this like pitch for his, this documentary to get some funding and so he plays the eye of the tiger yeah, yeah. and ben stiller's like you know i used to just think this song was corny but now i understand like it's great i feel great because the thing um that always surprised me when i was thinking about me as a gen xer versus millennials is like that idea of selling out that was so important to gen xers and like not selling out like it's just not a thing to millennials like there isn't that and they they just convey that really well too yeah and jamie was using josh to try to get close to to further his career but he was also helping him too like he was like josh was terrible and we have to talk probably a lot about his career um he was terrible at pitching what he was trying to do and he was going to go meet with like a hedge fund guy he could not do it adam driver's character was like trying to psych him up uh and help him and he he like wanted to include him to a point but like ben stiller was just so defensive like he couldn't do it and i've you know found myself as a gen xer saying things like he did like about the Rocky theme or like, I remember when we didn't have the internet, you know, and I, yeah. I try to suppress that now because I do think that's just like alienating to do. I mean, maybe if someone asked me, a younger, a younger person asked me about what it was like, which they never will, because maybe all generations feel this way about the generation that came after them. Like you want to share what it was like and like you have this perspective on because you lived this different way and you're living in the present now like you want to share what you know but they don't want to know what you know they yeah. it's like that's what their parents know and that's what they're rejecting at the point i'm at now and the age like i feel like you go through a, a phase when you're like resisting aging and then you're kind of giving into it and then you just like are you know, you just have to accept. You present old young people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then you can just, yeah, or or try to appreciate them. But Josh was just such a jerk about I know some things and was horrible. He was working on the same documentary, horrible documentary for eight years and that he deserved to be yelled at or something. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. His... It's that thing where I feel like some people like just don't want to be too commercial or they like don't want to sell themselves, you know, like I, this is one of my beefs with my husband a lot because I'm an event coordinator. So I hire people all the time to do events and there, there are DJs in this town who are very, very good at selling and promoting themselves. And there are DJs like my husband who like don't want to sell out like they care, you know, and they're not going to play like the hit that you want to hear, but they'll play like the B side of that, that band, you know, and like that to them is like authenticity and not selling out. And so they will always be on college radio, but they'll never be on the current. And they resent the person who's really good at promoting themselves. But I 
will hire the person who's the good self-promoter because I'm an events manager. I want as many people to know about it as possible. And if I'm paying for that too, like that's what I want. I felt like I saw that with Josh and Jamie where Jamie's willing to take all kinds of shortcuts and schmooze and understands that's part of the job. And Josh cannot commit to that part of the job. Yeah. Josh was a purist, Mm -hmm. um, but really he was just an asshole. Yeah. But also he was just an asshole, but it's a, it's a gray line. Like at a certain point after you've passed your prime or where you're the young generation, do you stop and just stick with the values of your generation? But then when there's a new generation, are you just going to stick with those and not, or are you going to like, I think you have to like soften yourself and try to change with the time still. Otherwise you become... Like Josh, who's yeah. like stuck and he's such a jerk all I know. the time. They're all jerks. Like the, there's actually three generations of filmmakers mm-hmm. in this because mm-hmm. there's the Charles Grodin character, who Leslie Breitbart. And he even says, so the, the sort of um, climax of the movie happens when Charles Grodin's character is getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. And so all three directors meet and there's kind of a whatever, denouement. But when they're getting ready to leave, he says to his daughter, Naomi Watts, he's like, you know, Josh just never, I think I was more of a jerk than I could ruthless. have been and more yeah. ruthless and, and maybe it didn't always help you and, and your mom, but like Josh never understood that and he's never going to get a Lifetime Achievement Award. Like, so, so in a way, you know, there also like when I think about generations, I, I remember when millennials started being out on the workforce, they also said that they're like the echo generation, you know, boomers are pretty self-centered too. And then the Gen Xers are sandwiched in between and that like authenticity and integrity thing that I guess is important to Gen Xers maybe isn't as important. I don't know. That was interesting too, the way they reflected each other. Like in a way, Adam Driver's character relates better to Leslie and mirrors him, the boomer, than he does to Josh. Yeah, I think definitely. And Generation X just is sort of a an ignored generation. Um, and just, <laughs> so I mean, there, there is some resentment that is deserved. I mean, on that, you know, because of generation. I mean, we are literally forgotten. Though there was that, like, meme where a new CNN was, like, listing the generations. It just went from baby boomers to millennials. And yeah. didn't even count, <laughs> count like, uh, and then there was another thing where um, someone on Fox News called on Generation X to stop cancel culture, and then people oh, yeah. were like, and they're like, born cancel Generation <laughs> X, and just kind of, I feel like we we're sort of um, ignored. I think we think very fondly of our uh, childhoods where we had a lot of independence mm-hmm. compared to millennials, but were our parents even paying that much attention to us? It just no. It seemed like even our parents, the boomers... They were paying attention to themselves. (laughs) And then the millennials. They were the generation that changed everything. So, yeah, I I think, you know, they cut uh, off the years. You know, it's always, I guess, Generation X goes up to 1979. Is that right? It depends. It depends on who, because some, like, 19, early 80s people consider themselves Gen X, too. But I've always thought that was the beginning of, because I'm 76, so I'm, like, at the tail end. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, uh, Generation X should welcome as many people who want to be in it as, just because we are so, That's such not a our smaller, style. I know, yeah, kind of like uh, exclusive or. I read this r- article once about 
Pavement. Oh my God, who's the main guy from Pavement? Stephen Malkmus, is that Pavement? Yeah, I'll buy that. So I was reading about different musicians. I don't know what the piece was, but it basically was saying that like one of his things as a writer was he could toss off great pop songs, you know, and, and they are like, I, I think Crooked Rain, Crooked, whatever it is, that Pavement album is great. Like Mm -hmm. all the songs are great, but part of his thing was that like, he made it look like it didn't matter. or Like he just, you know, he just like pulled it out of his butt. And that's also like a Gen X thing. Like you care about what you're doing, but you don't want anyone to see that you care and you don't really want them to know that you put a lot of work into it because part of it is just that sort of like, that's how you represent yourself. You don't want to look like you're trying too hard. And then like other generations, that's just not a thing. Like selling out, networking, showing the amount of work and celebrating the amount of work you put into something is an important part of the process. I don't know why I'm saying that, but that was like, that really was a revelation to me. I feel like people now are very comfortable talking about their process and representing themselves in every stage, like sometimes too much of their artistic process. Yeah, I struggle with the self-promoting thing too, and I don't know if it's a generation. Oh my, God, my husband drives me crazy thing about or that. like, a, yeah, a personality thing. But like having a job interview, you know, you have to do it. And if your job interview is with a millennial, you're gonna come across as you don't care, or you're not qualified, or you can't articulate basic things about what you do, which was a big problem with Josh. Yeah, like he couldn't even articulate it. Millennials absorb this marketing thing without irony or like feeling weird about putting things on social media. Because selling out is not a problem. Like that's not a bad thing. It means you're successful. And I think everyone, it makes everyone feel a little yucky, but maybe not, maybe it doesn't. But that is a thing that I talk about with my husband all the time. Because if I have a choice between hiring a band that has a following and doesn't, like I'm going to hire the band that has the following. Even if one is like a better band. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually Josh gets to that too, because there's this whole kind of like running joke about he shows the movie that he's working on to his father-in-law and his father-in-law's like, do you need that part about the Turkish political history? Yeah. Oh. And he's like, yes, we do. But like, if you can't, share your vision and be successful what is the point of the art you're making it's only for you it's not for the people who are going to consume it or receive the message you're trying to convey you know yeah i had a lot of problems with what he was doing for one thing he was such a horrible person for like using that editor guy and not paying him continuing to promise that he was gonna maybe pay him why doesn't he just do the editing himself anyway So yeah, he couldn't take criticism, which makes it seem like he never had to do this as a job, like where he could receive any feedback. So I mean, in a way, he was just a baby man. Yeah, and his commitment to his vision like impeded his ability to work with people. And the editor is the perfect example. Like, if you can't articulate your message to the person who's going to be able to help you realize that vision, like the hedge fund manager who's going to finance it, then you don't deserve to work with the crafts people who are helping you realize the vision. Like, you've got to pay them. Wow, I'm getting on a tear here. The hedge fund guy scene was really funny, his meeting with him. And Josh wouldn't work with his wife, who was a producer. Right. Like he went, I can't believe she was patient with him for that many years, and it took eight years for them to have a fight about it. I mean, also their infertility stuff. 
It seemed like no one in their life knew about that. It was just a mystery why they didn't have kids. And they eventually told her dad. And he's like, I didn't know that you wanted to have kids. Times have changed. People are starting to talk about miscarriages and like Harry and Meghan and stuff. I think it was a don't ask, don't tell situation. If you yeah. don't have kids, you're like, oh, why don't you? And But then like since people couldn't talk about if it was an infertility reason, then everyone just kept hounding them and they Mm -hmm. didn't feel like they could talk about it. So that's better, I guess. Yeah. I think that's why the movie was so compelling and we should talk about it. But yes, Adam Driver's character, Jamie, is kind of a dick, but also like it's really not that simple. I mean, there's a lot of complexity and, and, you know, he and Ben Stiller are both architects. Although actually I think these, both of those people do actually exist. The way that they play against each other just hits a lot of things that I've struggled with in my own relationships with people. And I, I'm still thinking about it, and I watched it three days ago. So Yeah. Do you want to describe Adam Driver's character a little bit? And we can talk a little bit about... Yeah, we need to get to the... We need to get away from these big issues. I know. But he'll take <laughs> me to some good to, ones, too. Yeah. <laughs> to Adam Driver. When he was first introduced, did you notice all that stuff he was doing? I know. <laughs> he was doing all this stuff with his arms. And he would always do... Thank he did the, the prayer, prayer hands. hands. Yeah. Which was like Ugh, an affectation. You didn't mm-hmm. like the. I kind of liked it. He didn't it's keep good, it going. Yeah. I feel like Adam Driver, when you first see him in a movie, I feel like it always really stands out in some way. You know, he was doing this thing with the arms and. Yeah, he's like a noodle. Yeah. Actually, I think his physicality really played well here. Like, Amanda Seyfried is so little, and she's so pretty in it, this little waif. And then Ben Stiller, too, is so much smaller than him. He's very short, yeah. Like, the way he moves is really kind of floppy, because he is a young man, you know, and he's got this floppy hair. And But yeah, he does the prayer hands thing. Like, I used to have this friend that whenever we worked with someone who was annoying, (laughs) we would pretend to be them. Namaste, you know? And anytime I see anyone on a talk show who does that thing where they like bow and they put their hands in a prayer instead of just saying thank you for having me on I'm like fuck that guy like I just can't stand it I thought that was a great gimmick and Mm -hmm. I just really loved yeah the way he moved in his physicality and even like he always wore these like loose pants that were kind of like tapered and like a little short for his legs so he looked like this big floppy no socks no socks cool shoes so he starts out being this cool guy who's really welcoming, inviting the older couple to everything. Flattering them. Yeah, and we kind of find out he's like an operator, like he's the documentary filmmaker. Like, you know when they bump into the famous dad, he's gonna stick around and yeah. like talk to him later. He never picks up the check. Ben Stiller, yeah. Stiller's character always picks up the check when they hang out. Yeah, but he puts little tendrils out to Ben Stiller too. He's like, oh, I, I'll need help with that. But Ben Stiller's ego is too mm. strong like he'll never connect with him so he's always like it's this push-pull you kind of don't know if he's just using him or mm-hmm. trying to collaborate with him but yeah. he has no problem with like going above his head and like going to meet with the hedge fund guy himself and yep. getting the money and he's so much better at it yeah so he makes it he's making a documentary he was going to join facebook and then the first person from his past that contacted him he would actually find them in person and ben stiller is like oh i don't think it's enough of an idea and then they do this and find this guy and then it turned out he had tried to commit suicide we find out later that this was all staged and adam driver's character knew this stuff the whole time but he was doing it for 
drama. He knew things and he was keeping some people in the dark. There's this gimmick that his wife keeps saying, like, Americans love a before and after. Like, before I didn't know him and after I realized he had a story, you know? And they, they kind of do this before and after. They keep referring to that, which actually I didn't totally understand in the context of the story, but... Yeah, but they're really concerned with the narrative and the storytelling. With a surprise, yeah. Which is good if you are making any kind of film. I yeah. hate it when the story is loose and doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, people love a story that ties up. And so as the story starts unfolding, you know, and Josh Ben Stiller's character gets kind of more sucked into his orbit, you know, he helps him as a filmmaker and he'll notice these little things like Adam Driver's character is interviewing this guy and all of a sudden he realizes that Adam Driver's character has a remote. Yeah. And so he's making the camera like focus in on Adam Driver's face as he's asking an emotionally loaded question and telling a story, you know. And he even like gets a little tear in his eye when it's like hard focus on him. And He knows he's playing a role as, you know, being part of this documentary. But he does take it too far, I think, in that he doesn't care if it's totally fake. Like, it's reality TV. But I think if you are making a documentary, you're presenting information as this is true, this really happened. Ben Siller was correct that Mm -hmm. you shouldn't play everyone around you just to make a good movie. And he was so rude about he was always filming everything yeah, without permission, emotional moments. I wouldn't feel comfortable being around him because you know he would have no qualms He's about... He's consuming you. Like, yeah, 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 exactly, like a product. His experiences are part of his quote-unquote art, but also where he's going to make money. He's like monetizing all of his experiences. And I think... As a Gen Xer, that does still rub me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that anymore. And I did stop posting on Facebook four years ago. And you know, like, if you drop out of some parts of culture that, like, everyone accepts is a normal thing. Is it because you're better than them? Yeah, you just seem, like, judgy. But I do think, for me, I enjoy life a lot more if I'm not thinking about if I'm taking a picture, if I'm going to post it, and then who's going to like it. Yeah, I have a very complicated relationship with selfies, that's for sure. Yeah, I've heard that women over 40 often drop out of posting about themselves, and maybe it's partly because of aging. And I don't want it to be about that. I started getting uncomfortable with digital surveillance and like... Mm -hmm. Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. I still look at it and I do appreciate having a way to know things about people from my past. But it is weird, you know, from our experience, people I went to high school with, I really lost touch with them and didn't know anything about them, didn't have to keep this gigantic cast of characters in my head. Well, I was asking you about a mutual friend earlier and not even someone who is very close to me, but if you're Facebook friends and they post a lot, They're just in your consciousness. And this is not a real relationship. And I just think it's overwhelming. It's too many people. So much comparing yourself to other people where our our worlds used to be a lot smaller. We were more like in the moment of what we were doing. Yeah. I'm so nosy. I like to know. I like that stuff too. Yeah. I like to lurk. Yeah. That's a tangent, I guess, about well, social I don't, media. I don't think so because I feel like that's the part that gets complicated is it does get all wrapped into who you are and the way that you understand yourself and who owns the story. And like at some point I started to feel like 
Ben Stiller's character, like what's mine and what's yours? Everything that you're doing that we're sharing together, I'm helping you with this videography, but I'm the filmmaker, but you're like shaping the narrative, but are, but is it true? At one point in filming the documentary, he mentions that his, Jamie mentions that his mother died of ovarian cancer, but it turns out actually it was Amanda Seyfried's mother, her character, and at one point Ben Stiller confronts this vet, you know, like why did you friend him again on Facebook? And he's like, I didn't, he called me, he told me he was playing a role. But like then when they go back and are like recounting the story and, and Ben Stiller's character makes him confess what he did, he's like, I doctored the narrative a little bit to tell this story and get the shots that I wanted and the timeline is slightly different, you know? And they were like, well, is it a story about a vet? And he was like, yes. You know, is it a story about trauma? Yes. But like it's those little details that get really mushy and confusing and where you're like, what part is my story and what part is their story? And I've never hated Adam Driver as much as I hated his character. Mm, I was like yeah. filled with hate towards him towards him at the end. And I, I also feel like we've all had that situation just on a basic level where you're a friend with someone and you're like enchanted and in their orbit. And then all of a sudden you're like taking part of what makes me me. Like I'm a documentarian and all of a sudden you're the documentarian with the success because you're good at all the other stuff. But I gave you my my best scholar and my my insight and I held the camera for you and now you're profiting from it and yeah and Ben Stiller tries to confront him on this by saying this wasn't true you staged it but really what he was doing wrong was he was using everyone and really good at manipulating everyone around him to get what he wants and yeah eventually someone is going to get credit and fame and money from this product that he made with all this help but you know isn't going to share any of that credit and was really using like he was using Ben Stiller to hold the camera but he was controlling it and he used that vet it just seems like this confused person it's like a story as old as time it really I couldn't help but think of some of my own life experiences like when I was Six, and scrunchies were really trendy the first time, my mom and I sat down and figured out how to make them. And then I showed this friend of mine, and then we had a May Day festival every year at my school when I was a kid. This friend of mine was walking around the school grounds with a basket of scrunchies selling them at the Mayfair. And I was like, I showed you how to make those scrunchies Mm -hmm. because you're my friend and now you're selling them. Mm -hmm. And I still remember it was like that first little cut, you know, like I, that was mine. And then I gave it to you and you took it and you sold it. If you're the person who's like, but that was my idea. I know. It makes you feel crazy. Yeah. There's a scene where Ben Stiller confronts Adam Driver's character and he looks crazy. But like yeah. you can see why he feels that way, but you can also see why Adam Driver's character is like, no, that's not how this works. This is a democratic process. I ran with it, so now it's mine. Yeah, and he was able to like stay up all night and cut his footage yep. and actually get things done. And then he would have a screening in his apartment. He, he invited to... the right people. Like yeah. he knew what to do. And like that's a talent too. But he weaseled out of the messy stuff. Okay, can I tell you my other personal story that it reminded me of a little bit? Sure. So when I was in my 20s, I lived in this house in Seward. It was a great house. It was really cheap. I paid $241 a month, $241 a month to live there. And I had three roommates, and it was kind of like a rotating door. Like every time someone moved out or went somewhere else, like we would have to get somebody else in there. And we had this one roommate that kind of slid in. Like we'd had one roommate that we'd interviewed, and she was great. And then 
she had to leave, so she found someone really quick to take over her lease, and it was this woman whose name I will not share. She got to be a pretty well-known folk singer around town for a little while, like she played at the Turf Club a few times, and she had this really pretty folky voice, and she had these big brown eyes and cute hair, and she's really tall. Anyway, so she lived with us for a few months, and all of us had these like weird experiences with her. Like one of my roommates went into her cabinet once, and there was like a box of macaroni and cheese missing, and there was an, a bowl, like a dirty bowl in the sink, and the only other person who was there was this roommate, and she was like, hey, did you take a box of my macaroni and cheese? Like, it's not a big deal. I just wish you'd told me because I was going to go grocery shop, you know, whole thing. No absolutely said just like looked at her bare in the eye no and you know things like that would happen to other people and I love vintage clothes and I used to have great vintage clothes like I really when I was single I would spend a lot of time like if you know a vintage store in the Twin Cities like I have been there and I probably know the owner and like that was my thing so I started noticing some of my clothes missing. And the thing about vintage clothes is like, there's only one. There was one thing I had, it was a vintage square dance dress and it had a road runner print on it. This really cool, like graphic road runner print. And it was missing. And I was like, hello roommate, who's the same size as me and basically the same height, a little taller did you borrow this? And she was like, no. And I like showed her the empty hanger in my closet and I was like, it was hanging right here. Have you seen it? No. Anyway, a few months went by and she just got weirder and weirder. We started getting all these bills and like debtor calls to the house. She told us her mom had cancer and that she was having problems paying bills. And then she moved out. And the day that she was moving out, I was at work, but I was just sitting there and I felt really uneasy. So I, I drove home in the middle of the day just to like, check on her and she had stolen the weirdest thing she stole my computer mouse I could see it sticking out of a box it was, it was a purple mouse so I knew it was mine and then my Pee Wee Herman video cassettes I confronted her I took them back she left we never heard from her again we got a million bills in the mail from debt collectors we called her mom once and said like she owes us this much money for utilities but we know that things are hard for you right now because of your cancer and she was like I don't have cancer she hung up on us anyway a few months later, I was at the 331 Club with some friends of mine, and there is my roommate performing in the Roadrunner dress oh on the stage. I didn't even realize she was performing that night, and it wasn't that crowded. If you've been to the 331, it's like a neighborhood bar. It was like two-thirds full. So when she finished, I walked up to the stage, and I was like, that's my dress. Like, you stole that dress. I confronted you about it. And this like weenie little hipster boy came over and like protectively put his arm around her, which was ridiculous too, because she was really tall. So he was like, he had his arm up around her and he was like glaring at me and she like shrunk like a deer, you know? And I like chased her around the 331 club for a little while. I was with this friend of mine from college who's a very awkward person and I hadn't seen him for a while and I was like she stole my dress and like I started to get mean looks from the bartenders like I was harassing her and so then I looked her up I found a picture of her on MySpace wearing one of my shirts that also was a vintage shirt it had corn cobs on it oh my god it was infuriating but I also know how Ben Stiller's character felt because I know when he was confronting him and trying to get him to say it he looked crazy even though he was right on some level so yeah I am Ben Stiller that's what I learned that's accusing yeah if you're accusing somebody all they have to do is this dead-eye stare if you act calm and someone is like 
going crazy accusing you of something. They're the aggressor. You can make the them look on them. insane, even if he was right about everything. I mean, yeah. I can only think of one thing that comes to mind, and actually, I was the person. It was, okay, my friend, a friend of mine, yeah, he exposed me to a lot of music. This is about Tammy Wynette. And at some point, like, we were doing karaoke, and I was going to do Tammy Wynette, Your Good Girl's Gonna Go Bad. And he was like, I played that song for you or something. Like, he did introduce me to Tammy Wynette. And, but when he said that to me, I kind of froze, and I didn't say, yeah, you totally did, which I would now. I think, like, I was feeling, I felt accused like I had co-opted something that he discovered and like took it as my own I still think about that moment where he kind of called me out on that Tammy Wynette thing and I didn't say the right thing I think if someone is accusing you of something there's something in human nature that makes you want to deny it and want to lie about it mm-hmm. that's true you're right I mean with uh, Jamie the filmmaker he is young and he hasn't had time he's just starting out his career he hasn't had time to like learn any of these lessons that ben stiller or that someone older has i mean he's gonna find out if this movie does become popular just like when people write memoirs and someone's gonna turns out like well they made some stuff up and you you can totally ruin your credibility like especially the thing about him lying about his mom uh, having cancer I mean, that kind of thing, if you're presenting a documentary, you that's just a total lie. I mean, that could come out and that could really hurt your career. You know, Ben Siller had more integrity. He almost had too much integrity, yeah. like he could not move forward or something, like he didn't have the motivation or drive or something. But you do need to have enough integrity that you're not going to ruin your career by just lying. Yeah, but you also have to be willing to cut corners and shape something to match your story and your vision and and get the message out. I mean, this is the first Adam Driver movie we've watched that I really feel like I could write like eight college papers about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I was just filled with rage sometimes at Adam Driver, but it was like my own righteous rage. So each filmmaker... So the, the dad, when he was giving his speech, he was saying something about, all documentaries are about the person who's making them. And then like in Ben Stiller's college lecture, he was saying the same thing. And then I think Adam Driver was saying the same thing of like, I'm playing a character, like as a person making it, you are a character in yeah, it too. But true. also I think that Noah Baumbach, who, I mean, I think this movie is super well written and I really enjoyed it and liked it. He's a really good writer, but he does sort of write the same story from his perspective and the yes. people in his world. I can see why he thinks this. All everything you make is about you, but also as a white man, it is about you and you've never had to put yourself in anyone else's shoes. You might just not have that skill. That was annoying to me that if this was a message of the movie too, and maybe the things that have happened between 2015 and now we're hearing more people's perspectives, but I don't think it has to be just about you. I think that's a limitation of the filmmaker, but stating it as like, this is a fact, I thought was annoying to me as like a privilege. Yeah, those people are definitely breathing some rare air. You know, it's funny, like, again, I just, as an events person, I always feel like my events are successful if people can see themselves in the event. There's something about it that appeals to me and me and me and me, because it's all about me, you know, and I, 
I could see myself in all of those characters. Maybe I'm breathing rare air. I am breathing rare air. What can I say? I'm from the East Coast. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But there's maybe some creators or authors out there. They're not as narcissistic, possibly. Their characters come from their imagination or other people where they aren't as laser focused on themselves which I thought the characters especially the filmmaker characters in this movie and I think probably Noah Baumbach himself are just so focused on themselves Mm -hmm. they just think everybody is and that's their worldview and I think it's outdated (laughs) yes I think you're right no you're told at that that point about the era that it's in is you're right on I, and I hadn't thought about that at all, but I, you're right. And not like I was any better at that point. I mean, I think people have been coming around to their privilege more, you know? Yeah. I felt like he was trying to make a statement that, yeah, I don't think holds true anymore, maybe. Yeah, it's funny, you know, the Charles Grodin character keeps calling this Achievement Award his memorial. It does feel a little bit like the career that he had is a career that no one else is going to have. Like yeah, Ben Stiller's sure. not going to have that career. Adam Driver's character's not going to have that career. Yeah, like Ben Stiller, yeah, he probably was as driven and talented as the boomer guy, but the opportunities might not have been there. And yeah, Adam Driver, he's willing to do anything to get ahead. But there's a lot of structural things possibly against him yeah. too. Their characters are both exploitative but in totally different ways like Ben Stiller is using this editor and not paying him but it's because he can't prostitute himself enough to get a good backer to make the movie but the ultimately the outcome is the same he's getting this guy to do editing for no money and I'm sure Adam Driver is also having him do editing and not paying him enough and isn't going to give him like the right credit you know yeah clearly he could have used some personal money yeah. I mean, they... I know. To to pay the person. I know. Or if you can't, also, then you I do was it like, yourself. Just open up your wallet and give him money. And actually, he does end up doing that at the end. Remember, he sells his CD collection to, to pay for finishing the film. That was weird because, yeah, I just, I mean... Like, who's going to buy a CD collection? CD, I've so, sold CDs. I mean, you get like a dollar a CD. and But they also seem rich. And so this is just like how the... It doesn't make sense, the economics of how they're surviving and seeming to live like a really nice lifestyle, yet you wouldn't pay someone. I think that's very weird to not pay someone on some kind of principle, like it sullies the process, including money in it. But I mean, I think that's just terrible. Yeah, um, to... I feel like I've been on the other end of that mm-hmm. as a graphic designer. Yeah, I bet. A lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I would rather just do things for free if I wanted to help somebody and not try to like... Do it for exposure. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or promise of future work. I'm sure Adam Driver's character future. gets his friends to do things for exposure. Yeah, that roommate, <laughs> Tipper. Yeah. <laughs> was the... I wonder how that worked. So there was a married couple, and then they had a roommate who lived in a loft, but it seemed like just kind of an open space. Yeah. But, yeah, if you're young, you're in your 20s, you're in New York. So many people I just wanted to punch in the face in this movie, like, at different times. What did you think of the ending? Oh, that they were going to adopt a baby. I have a lot of questions about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So then it ends. You see them... Uh, flash forward like with the baby in between them and so it looked like it was in the future and they had a baby but no that was their friend's baby and then they were going to adopt a baby from Haiti and then they were in the airport and then they were watching a toddler play with a phone yeah and text yeah yeah and the the toddler just like 
clearly has so much facility with this phone and the toddler is like talking on the phone and the toddler is like opening apps and like it's kind of horrifying like the possibilities that this toddler is opening up and I liked that or or like I was like what is that what is what are they telling us here also they they get a vanity fair and they open it up and there's a big profile of Ben Stiller's character and you know what oh, I was you mean thinking? Adam Driver's yeah, yeah Adam yeah. Driver's mm-hmm. character I was thinking like Jamie Adam Driver's character was um posting it on Facebook hashtag grateful hashtag blessed you know <laughs> yeah like, yeah ugh. Yeah, all the hashtags. Yeah, I used to just tune out if people had too many hashtags Namaste. in their posts. Yeah, it's like they had decided to adopt a baby, which I felt mixed feelings about just because international adoptions and all adoptions in general are just kind of fraught, you know. With And I was like, did that baby have a parents who just couldn't afford to have, you know, just like the yeah. um, issues about But any adoptions. kind of having a baby brings up issues you know I just having a baby's hard they're gonna have a family now and they've reconnected with their parent their friends who have kids who are the same age and stage you do kind of put your career on the back burner but it's worth it right like when you're older and you're having a family and it is easy for millennials to swoop in who have no other commitments and like can work tons of hours a week and have they don't have to be home at a certain time it's a trade-off yeah people forever have been going through this same thing and now we're going through it again with the added factors of like social media and a lot of really fast changes in society i do want to just say though like so even though adam driver's character is really manipulative and like he becomes successful probably at the you know on the backs of his roommate Tipper and all the free labor he gets. There is also that thing too where I feel like Gen Xers aren't very good at advocating for themselves as we've kind of said and that also does play across in the standard work environment too. Like the millennials I work with now are the ones who are saying like we're working too much. We need recognition. We need raises. Like I didn't I never asked for a raise when I was in my 20s or my 30s. I don't think I've ever asked for a raise. No, I have. But it's but I transformational. Like, yeah. I like, feel like younger people do recognize the value of their work precisely because they're coming up in this world where the work that they do, especially if they're creators, isn't valued and there isn't an expectation of value and I so it, I, it's just so complicated. Like, what would Jamie be doing now? He'd probably still be taking advantage of people. There's, like, an Amy Schumer stand-up where she's like, I like younger people. They're, like, not taking it anymore, like, with sexual harassment. She'd be like, has this been going on? And they're like, oh, the older women are like, yeah, this is just how it is. And they're like, are we going to do anything about it? And, you know, they yeah. are doing something about it. Yeah. yeah. Millennials. I just read an article about millennials are burned out because they like went to college and have always been having to um, work so hard and have so much debt they have to like start working so much that now after the pandemic that they're like exiting the workforce to follow their dreams where I feel like my whole career practically has been an extended career rumspringa where I'm like I'm doing my own thing in my own business and but now I'm like older and I'm you know freaking out I'm like what about retirement you know like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I didn't really know if I had the opportunities to do any like get you know jobs like our parents had like the stability of those kind of jobs probably didn't 
exist. And millennials have been then in the workforce, climbing the career ladder. So then I, as personally trying to like enter the workforce again later, I don't have the same kind of resume as what's expected by HR. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe millennials will go do their own thing for a while and then that will help Gen X to get back in there because they are such a big generation and so hardworking. I, one thing that when I really realized like we live in their world and not our world anymore is when 90s nostalgia mm-hmm. became a thing. And I was like, great. I know, and so we were going to do like designs based on that at my job, and I'm like, great, that was my time. And then it wasn't my time. The nostalgia was for the things that yeah. grade schoolers liked. Like Boy in the, Meets World? In the 90s, I never yeah. watched Saved, that show. Saved by the Bell, yeah, yeah, just Linda Frank, is that her name? Lisa yeah. Frank? Yeah. Linda. Lisa. Lisa Frank. Stuff that kids would have liked, but I was in college, and I thought, that but then corny. I felt erased again. I was like... This was my time, you know, and no, it wasn't. I thought it was, but it was the millennials' time, and they were kids, and that was the driving force behind culture instead of our poor, sad generation. I know. <laughs> I feel you. That movie just fascinated me. So how, how, how many combs would you give it? I was thinking about this, and I really liked it, and then I was like, do I have any complaints about it? Because, I mean, usually it's really obvious to me right away if I have any complaints about the movie and I guess uh, my only one was just that it was another movie about New Yorkers I know and that it was a little one note or like the myopia of Noah Baumbach who I do like and I am a fan of but not like but like you sort of hate yourself for liking him a little bit like I yeah or it's been done or Mm -hmm. it's not fresh in some way I think he's really talented. Did it remind you of Woody Allen, kind of? Yes. It Me is, too. It is Woody I, Allen. Yes. Yeah, the new Woody Allen. And I think people are not are not going to compare him to Woody Allen anymore as much because Woody Allen's top billing thing is now he's being canceled. a sex offender. But yeah, it is a new, definitely the exploration of relationships and even and even like when Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts were like walking down the street and I think Naomi Watts said we don't do anything anymore and Ben Stiller's like we do anything anymore witty cute comments yeah mm-hmm. it was very Woody Allen mm-hmm. very also very when Harry met Sally mm-hmm. too um, yeah I agree but I think that's why I was so comfortable having conversations with my husband about it because it's a narrative and a story that like we've seen those characters before in that setting and it's an easy thing for me to to watch and understand and like fall and grasp so like my husband and I definitely like talked about it a lot more than we did about the zombie movie and both the other two that we've seen are like genre movies like the heist movie so Mm -hmm. so I really enjoyed watching it but I felt the same it's like um I love the Gilmore Girls but I hate myself for liking the Gilmore Girls yeah I that's I think that's how I felt about it too so for that I'm gonna give it four combs I also give it four combs (laughs) because yeah at first it washed over me in, in a way almost I had no criticisms at first and then if I if I can really dig in there and it's yeah just because it's like it's like a, that's like a genre unto itself but it, it's kind of so pretentious that it pretends not to be a totally. genre 
but it is. It's New York. And even it's girls, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And my friend who didn't like Adam Driver, she said, well, you watched The Girls, right? Like, she didn't <laughs> watch I'm like, you mean girls? And this part of that genre of, like, yeah, New York, young. And I didn't move to New York in my 20s like a lot of my friends did. I think because I was... I didn't think I'd be able to get an apartment, I think, <laughs> or like I could afford it. I don't know. I just was held back from doing that. And I mean, part of me will probably always regret not doing that. Maybe? Hardest eye roll ever. Okay. What is your perspective? I grew up in Connecticut. So I think New York's awesome. I love going to visit. I used to go to visit all the time when I was a kid. It's great. It's great. New York is great. Go. But I just also hard eye roll because I... I chose to live in Minneapolis in my 20s. I wanted to live here, and I think I made the right decision. And everybody I know who moved to New York and moved back to Minneapolis, good for you. You had your New York experience, but, like, I think it's great here. I don't – I just – I'm over it. Yeah, I mean, I love it here, and I never wanted to leave Minneapolis. Like, I was always having fun here. I do think it helps your career if you move to New York for a while because then you're working for – really big places and household names and and there's a lot of opportunity but yeah a lot of people from minneapolis moved to new york for a while and then in their 30s they moved back i never did that so i'll never know i feel sort of nostalgic watching but i used to go to new york all the time and fun place to travel and friends there yeah it's like a combination of maybe regret and wistfulness about new york but also a little resentment of having the new york thing shoved down our throats again like so much i mean so many things i said in new york so in a way the oceans 11 movie logan lucky that movie delighted me in a different way that was delight it was delightful i think it for me, it kind of validated my my own personal roots of being from a small town and basically being a hick and then moved to <laughs> <laughs> who thought I, I was cool in my town, you know, but then I did move here and like realized I was less sophisticated than a lot of people who like grew up in the city. So that was just nice for me and comfortable. And I think I didn't have those like bad feelings that sometimes the New York stuff makes me feel mm-hmm. inferiority complex we have here in yeah. Minneapolis yeah. and Minnesota in general. But we should probably talk about Adam Driver's hair yeah. a little bit yeah, because we must. His hair was straight and, and kind of lank. And often he had a hat on. Mm-hmm. At the fancy event at the end, he was kind of dressed up. He looked good. Cleaned up very well. And his hair was extremely shiny. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I liked seeing his hair like that, but it was not a mane. It was not even shaggy. It was almost like a bowl cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bowl cut, page boys. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not his greatest. His hair looks really good, both in House of Gucci and Annette. And like, we're going, we're getting into Kylo Ren territory with the Annette trailer. But like, it is not this his hair doesn't play a role in this the way that it does in some of his other films exactly yes i will I say can that. i just say i just got my hair cut before that we started taping and i was talking to my hairdresser melissa about adam driver's hair and how she uses davi's products and she agrees that he has very good hair it's a professional opinion good good yeah i don't know what you know my friends think about his hair if they just don't care about that again i'm filled with rage i know like you have a human who has this characteristic that 
can be admired by all. And I do think he's a good actor. I do too. And I really, like, I love him so much. And I absolutely believed in him as a hipster. He seduced me. I was seduced and then enraged by seduced him. Seduced and enraged, yeah. He Okay, what about the scene when they're biking? Oh. So they're riding bikes. <laughs> Adam Driver is on his bike. And then he's, like, no-handed, just biking along. And Ben Stiller, like, throws his back out. <laughs> That was really funny. I thought so too. That was a great moment. I know. I yeah, and their their physicality really played well. He's just this huge guy. Like at one point, he puts his hands on Ben Stiller's handlebars and is like steering his bike at the same time, and like he's just like completely in control of the situation. And Ben Stiller can like barely keep up. I'm gonna good. yeah, give some credit to Ben Stiller to playing this role. He's such a jerk, kind of a loser. Can't keep up. Second fiddle. Yep. Aging. He was really clueless that he was aging, the whole reading glasses, and like he was not gracefully aging. He was like oblivious that he was aging and was not confronted with it until like he met Adam Driver. And then he goes to the doctor after he hurts himself on the bike, and the doctor's like, well, it's not really, you just pulled a muscle, but you have arthritis in your knees. And he's like, is it the new arthritis? Remember? And the doctor's like, I don't know. No, he's like, it's not like traditional arthritis. He's like, you mean arthritis, arthritis? And the doctor says, well, I only usually say it once, (laughs) which is really funny writing. So thank you, Noah Baumbach, for that. I mean, you're like, jokes are really funny. I like them. I mean, how do you know if you have arthritis I think I have arthritis in my hands I (laughs) my knees hurt a lot I've been avoiding going to the doctor because I don't want anyone to tell me that I have arthritis because it's like what can you do about it I don't think I think you just have it then someone told me like it's also swelling I'm like oh if I don't have the swelling just the pain but yeah yeah it's not fun I mean I have reading glasses now I um, do too I do like wearing my reading glasses but you're not ever going to go backwards you're not no. ever going to have that young body again nope so it is sad for us I know I really identified with Ben Stiller's character I think I am I like I feel rage I feel resentment I feel all of those dirty small feelings that he feels yeah I wish we could just get a little more credit I mean I feel like you know in a youth obsessed culture that we live in that people are thrown away as they get older unless they're a baby boomer in which case they continue in their positions until death and they, they never, never get old That's they why. they never transfer power to Gen X which can't hold a candle to their size And obviously we are not aggressive enough to go for it. Where millennials are finally like steamrolling over us, like AOC or something. Yeah, we probably deserve it. Yeah, and being like, you guys... You um, didn't do anything. Yeah, do we deserve it? Were we created this way? I don't know. But they they are that thing about how they're redefined. I mean, no one cares about slackers anymore. We're slackers. Unless millennials are burned out and they're going to be slackers now. I mean, I was happy for them. Like, I wanted them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was also kind of the FIRE movement, which is an acronym for something, something, retire early. Young people have figured out if you get a job in tech, like a couple... You both make $200,000 a year or something. If you don't spend any of that money, you can save a million dollars and then be retired. So I feel like this is in the background for millennials. 
this was our life. Our parents were not forcing us to do anything. I have a liberal arts major and have just made my own way. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I've been in the gig economy for so long that now I'm just like, I can't do that anymore. And like, I need a full-time job now. But I want the millennials, I do feel like they've worked too hard, have had a shitty deal. Yeah. And should go raise goats on a farm for a while if they want to. Yeah. I mean, you can't do it forever. No. You can't be in the pressure cooker. So their path, we just did it in our 20s and 30s. They'll go their own way and well, be artists in their 40s and 50s. With arthritis. I'm sure we'll hear all about it. I'm because sure we'll we will hear too. nothing. Hashtag grateful. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for listening to this episode of Designated Driver. Filled with rage. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.